This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 132. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. And I am your host, Riley Bowman. Riley is the guy whose birthday is today. Happy birthday, Riley. I'm Jacob Paulson. <laughs> Jacob is the guy who is very proud of his Wyoming heritage. That's not that, like, people already know that, Jacob. Okay. I, I, I thought, I don't know. Uh, maybe. <laughs> You're always talking about how much you love Wyoming. Wyoming's a beautiful state. But mostly, it comes up a lot more when you and I are talking because you're from Idaho, and I have to point out how it's superior to Idaho. Wow. I don't know if I've ever heard anyone say, except for you, that Wyoming is somehow superior than Idaho, but that's okay. I'll let that slide. (laughs) (laughs) That's because you have no comeback. Yeah, I understand. (laughs) It is my birthday today, but uh, yeah, anyway, just getting older, one year older, not cool. Your birthday was like, what, two weeks ago? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You and I have interesting timeline similarities. It's true. Well, happy birthday to you because I don't think we had the opportunity to wish that to you on the podcast either. All right. I'll take it. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, today's episode is going to be a really fun one. Uh, We have an interview that we did. uh, We actually just recorded this yesterday with Rob Latham. I would have loved to have had him be a part of like the entire episode, but He's a super busy dude. And I'm like, all right, we're just going to interview him. We'll plug that into this episode here today. Uh, We're extremely honored to have him as part of the podcast, but not only that, also part of our Guardian Nation live broadcast, which uh, is actually this next Tuesday, uh, June 27th at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. And so you're going to want to tune into that as well. If you've not had the opportunity to sit in on one of our Guardian Nation live broadcasts yet, uh, you need to check it out because they are really fun. They're really cool, and it's a great opportunity to learn. Uh, mainly because if you have a question that you've—I mean, how often do you have the opportunity to sit down with a world-class uh, shooter and professional like Rob Latham and ask him your questions? Well, this is your chance. And so that brings me to my first ad spot, which today this episode is brought to you by Guardian Nation, which is which makes our live broadcast possible. Uh, Guardian Nation members enjoy access to not only our Guardian Nation live broadcast, but also the the entire archive of past episodes that we've produced. Uh, Members are also going to get access to the ConcealedCarry.com Shooter Skill Library, a series of videos uh, for training and learning purposes. Also 10% off everything sold at ConcealedCarry.com. And you're going to receive a box of really cool, awesome gear four times a year worth at least the value of the membership besides everything else. It's a really good deal. I think one thing we don't often talk about either. Jacob is uh, members get a certificate for a training course after their uh, one year anniversary, right? Yeah, that's right. That, that certificate is good for any in-person face-to-face class from any of the instructors network wide across all the 20, whatever States we're in now. So, it's an amazing deal. Go check out, uh, not Concealed Carry. Well, yes, ConcealedCarry.com. Uh, you'll find it there. But if you want to go direct to GuardianNation.com and check it out and consider joining today, we'd love to have you as part of this fast-growing tribe of self-defense-minded shooters. Today's episode is also brought to you by Grand CLP and Quick Draw. 
Well, Jacob, uh, as we mentioned uh, today, we have a special interview together with Mr. Rob Latham, uh, only one of the greatest uh, shooters I think that's ever walked the planet. I mean, there's there's a handful of people you could put in that category, uh, and Rob Latham certainly is one of those. Uh, we really sat down and had the opportunity to uh, probe his mind about some of the fundamentals of shooting as he sees them, and he talks about it in ways that not a lot of other shooters or instructors talk about him. Uh, he, he really makes it, he tries to make it very simple, I think. Uh, but also it's because it's not just because he's trying to make it simple. So it's easy to understand, but really like there are only three things that are important as far as being able to put a bullet on a target where you want it to go. Yeah. The guy has so much humility and, and he, I don't know if it's it's his personality or or if it's just his approach or strategy, but he's able to explain things in such a simple way. You're just like, okay, yeah, duh. Like, why didn't I think of that before? Um, and and so I think you know you're really going to enjoy you know listening to Rob here. So I think we shouldn't wait any longer to play back this interview. So let's get started, and we'll see you on the other side. All right, we are so excited to have here with us today on the Concealed Carry Podcast, Mr. Rob Latham, the great one. God, don't start that. (laughs) Right off the bat. (laughs) I couldn't help myself, but uh, Rob, say hello. We're we're, we're thankful to have you on here today. Hello, everybody out there. I don't, it's not the great one, it's Rob. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) I I guess I'm setting the tone for the rest of this interview. There Uh, it is, right there. (laughs) I wanted to know if you were going to keep it lighthearted. Well, we'll keep it lighthearted. Man, Jackie Gleason is the great one. So, (laughs) well, I definitely don't agree or don't disagree with you there. So, uh, anyway, thanks for joining us today. Uh, We've got uh, Rob, we've got Jacob. Uh, and uh, today we're really looking forward to getting into it with you. Uh, Specifically, I mean, like, Rob, you are a master, obviously, at shooting. I mean... Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't even know if you are able to keep track anymore of how many national championships and titles that you've uh, collected over the years. I, I don't know. I don't. Keep, I, I'm not worried about the last one. I'm worried about the next one. You know, it's sure. If the drive has never been to collect them, it's to get them. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's, yeah. al- it's always what's next. Now you've been shooting since well, late '70s, early '80s. Well, I, I shot my first national-level competition in 1981, which was the USPSA – sorry, it wasn't USPSA then – IPSC U.S. Nationals in Virginia, and I've uh, uh, shot every pistol nationals for that organization since then. But I've been shooting a long time before that. I was born in 61, so graduated high school in 79, and all I wanted to do from about <clears throat> high school on was go shoot. So I just somehow came – Incredibly fascinated with firearms and pistols in in particular, and he grew up with them, and that's really all I wanted to do: just shoot. Nice. Um, so, a couple of things uh, right off the bat. Um, mainly as a follow-up, because recently we've talked about this program, uh, Night of the Saint is what I'm referring to. And so I wanted to get your take right off the bat about that, just kind of as a uh, closing the loop. Uh, last month we had Rob Pincus on. He was involved with Night of the Saint. Uh, he was one of the judges. Uh, you were also one of the judges for Night of the Saint. And of course, just about anybody that knows you and knows who you are knows that you know, you're pretty... Uh, you know, well tied in with uh, Springfield Armory. So obviously you would be involved in a project like that. But kind of curious if you could just give us a rundown as to what your your thoughts and feelings were about Night of the Saint. 
um, how that how that how that whole thing went. Um, you know what you thought about the shooters. Uh, what you you know what you thought about Caitlin, the winner of Night of the Saint, and uh, of course we had the opportunity to see you and see Caitlin at uh, the NRA show here just a couple months ago. But anyway, tell us a little bit about the Night of the Saint. Well, the, the whole the whole program was uh, <clears throat> developed as a promotional tool for us to use for the introduction of our AR-15 that we call the Saint, <clears throat> which I think was a November release. And the whole Night of the Saint uh, event was designed to uh, highlight its usage and and the different applications that that type of rifle might have. And the, the show, I guess we could call it the show, uh, that became what you guys know as the Night of the Saint was actually a very, very long process. The group that organized that whole thing did uh, auditions and was looking for the right people. They wanted people that had good social media presence and were good spokespeople because ultimately the goal was to create an entity out of that that somebody that we could use. And we being Springfield Army, when you say, am I associated with Springfield Army, you might as well just call me Springfield Army. I am Springfield Army. <clears throat> I've been yeah. I've been an employee for almost thirty years. I've been our shooter for you know a great portion of that. So it's it's I am one and the same. Um, but as we were going through the program and doing the the I, I was only brought in Picus and I only came in late. They wanted us to come in for judging during the last day of training uh, when the the girls were finishing up uh, uh, their works with work with Eric. And then, uh, uh, then the big event, which was the group that uh, got cut down from the six to the three, and those three uh, were going to get a compete for the Night of the Saint, which was to be the crown, the person that we, we really wanted to be, you know, what do you say, like a, like a spokesperson, somebody that, would, that, that we wanted associated with our product and be able to put in front of people and and it was it was a very interesting process because during the during the training, I don't know how much experience most of the the, the, the contestants had before they got there, but Eric Fruhart put together a, a training program that in the I think three or four weeks, I think it was a three weeks before Pegasus and I got there, um, they went from uh, hero to zero to hero isn't really the right term because some of them were probably pretty accomplished shooters before, but they all went. Uh, to a level that I wasn't really expecting to see. When we watched them on their last day of uh, <coughs> of uh, uh, training, they were doing things that I really would never have taken anybody uh, into. They were doing vehicular CQB and they were enter entering and exiting without uh, vehicles with firearms and just things that, as a trainer, you're always there. And you guys know because <clears throat> you guys do it. There are always things that, you know, like a, you know, a little little flag comes up and you're like, okay, there's a potential here for disaster. So we really need these these guys to be squared away. And they handled it perfectly. I mean, pretty much spot on. I, I didn't really have any any sort of complaints or, or, or anything. It was actually fun to watch them operate. Um, and then as the thing progressed, we had to choose three. The hardest part was... Any, any of the six finalists, and there were others before, but I never saw any of those, uh, any of the six finalists would all have been uh, great people to have working for you and uh, representing you, um, but in the end, you know, it's, it's like anything else, you're going to have to pick one, and the three that we chose to go for the final, and then the, ultimately culminating with uh, Caitlin winning, was based on a number of things. One, that she. She had, from my standpoint, she's going to have to be a shooter. 
You know, if you brought me in to be a judge, I'm, I'm not here to tell you who the prettiest one is, or I'm not here to tell you who the strongest one is, or the fastest, or the fittest. <clears throat> you know, my interest is, is specifically the, the, the shooting capability. And she, two or three of them really set themselves apart as far as just their, their, their shooting capability. And, and Caitlin, for, for me, Caitlin was the total package. She, she was funny. She was, and I goof around a lot, so I mean, I'm going to gravitate towards that. She was funny. She was, she was fun to talk to. She, was, she asked more questions than I did of her. <clears throat> I, she asked more questions than I expected her to ask because she wanted to know what was going on. And only at that point did I really realize they didn't even know what they were competing for at that point. This is the funny thing funny part they're all doing this training and they have no idea what it's even leading up to and we were given directives you know because Pegas and I were talking about this before to not talk to the girls about what the final event the night of the saint was because they didn't even know until mm -hmm. that night and it's the biggest production I've ever been involved in you know, we're up there in the hills in Wyoming and the, just the lighting involved and the power requirements to, 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 to light the thing was was incredible I know I couldn't run up and down the hills like the, all of the contestants did. I might be able to shoot as well as they do, but they'd all whoop my butt if it had been a contest up that content, uh, up that competition. Pikas probably could keep up with it, but not me. <laughs> wow. That, that's interesting. I, I don't think we realized, uh, Jacob, uh, you and I, uh, that the, the girls competing, uh, the ladies competing, didn't know exactly what they were competing for. So that's really they, they They kept asking us, and they were saying, like, hey, so, so – what are we doing? Says so you can't ask me those questions. I, first, <laughs> first off, I'm not absolutely certain. We're using, we're calling this a fluid environment, so we're not really sure. And which was kind of a lie because I kind of knew what they were going to do, but they had no idea. I mean, they when 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 they drove them up the uh, up the ravine up to the to the set where the final event was set up at. There, you know, I'd seen it before because we went up to look at it, and they hadn't even been up in that area in several days. Uh, because we did, they didn't want them to see anything. So they're like, "Holy crap! What are we actually doing up here?" It was fun to watch their enthusiasm, and it's even more fun to watch them go through the events. Yeah, yeah. A, a question I, I was, I had Rob as I was thinking about this, and and this is probably something that's going to come out a few different ways and at different times throughout our conversation today. But for for some people, they see competitive shooting. And what I'll call, you know, self-defense or tactical shooting, as very comparable or similar. May, you know, at very least, that the skills are the same. So, with you and 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 Pincus there as the judges, and you're looking at the way they're training, the the orientation to me, the the feeling of the show was about tactical shooting, about self-defense shooting. It was. And and so, talk a little bit about kind of, you know, as you're as you're watching shooters, uh, are you looking for different things than if you're looking for for a ta for for a competitive shooter, and are they being trained differently? Talk a little bit about kind of that 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 factor. Well, they are. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Uh, they, they were being trained differently, and yes, it, there there is a big difference between the shooting that you do in, in a competition compared to what might be considered not to use tactical as a term, which is kind of broad, and defensive, which is is more specific, because you can define a defensive situation and 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 
have it be completely different than competition. So right off the bat, you have to understand, when I go into a shooting competition, I care about one thing and one thing only. I couldn't care less about practicality. I don't care about whether it represents what would save me on the street. That doesn't matter because the fact is the environment that you're in is more like a dance competition where you have a pre-programmed series of steps from this position, this position. We know what the targets are. So there's really no... There's really no dealing with, uh, a, what do you call it, like, like a dynamic environment. We know what's going on. So the skill sets that, we're, that are required to compete very at highest level are, are incredible. I mean, to, to be competitive at the national or world level right now, this, the shooting's the best it's ever been in my life. There, there are 10 times more good shooters than there were when I started. And... I mean, just even in there, I, I, you know, I'm out of my, my generation. I'm the last one of my generation still doing it. But there were never this many good shooters at any single point in time when I was coming up. And when I go to a competition environment, I'm, I'm really looking at how do I make the best performance. All I care about is the score. The shooting, on the other hand, is just shooting. Like I spend, I don't actually train competition shooters as much anymore as I do higher level uh, uh, military law enforcement groups. And the simple reason is they're the ones that seem to be the most interested in spending the time and effort into developing those things. So when you get to the range and it's shooting time, we have to know what the end point is. What do you want to learn? Uh, if you're a competition shooter, you want to learn how to beat the clock. You want to learn how to shoot the highest possible score. Sometimes it's fast, sometimes it's accurate, whatever. You, you make your adaptations for that. But the techniques and the skills are all fundamentally the same. When I teach a, a a tactical group or a, a military group. The shooting skills and the actual techniques that we train on are fundamentally the same. The applications are completely different. I mean, for me, when the buzzer goes off, I'm going to start shooting at all the targets, right? In a fight, I mean, you have to train. If you're training for a fight, you have to plan on the fact that there's going to be decisions as to whether or not you're even going to shoot, whether you're even going to draw, and those are the hard parts of it. I mean, I'll be honest with you. This, for me, the shooting parts aren't that difficult. You know, in competition, the hardest part is dealing with nerves, and 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 I imagine what would be the worst part and the most difficult to deal with in a in a self defense shooting is making decisions as to whether when you should and if you should. I would never worry about the shooting. For my students, I want them to feel the same way. My goal is to put my student in a position where they never ever question whether they can accomplish the shooting that they need to do for whatever their environment would be. It'd be somebody else's job to teach them when to shoot because that's not my specialty. So that's where Pincus comes in. So Pincus tells them when to shoot and I tell them how to shoot. That's kind of the game as it plays out. But as far as the original question, the training for the techniques, uh, no, there's really not a drastic difference in it. The application, absolutely. Mm. Wow. Uh, there's a lot of good things there to consider, I think, for uh, our listeners out there. Um, speaking of Rob Pincus, uh, you guys you guys go back uh, a little ways, uh, you and he, and uh, you were involved together on this Night of the Saint project. But also, I know that you've been involved in some other uh, things and projects as well. In fact, one of my favorite series on YouTube that I've watched is uh, your Worlds Collide series. <laughs> and uh, I got a kick out of those. Uh because they truly are two different worlds. <laughs> we are. We're, you know, it's funny when we did the first series of those. I've known Pincus for for quite a long time, but our paths never crossed because he hates timers and I live by timers. So it's, 
it's, it's kind of by nature, you know, we're on different sides of the fence. So when we got together to do that first series called World's Collide, or we got together in Arizona to, to, to shoot those pieces, I didn't really know what I was getting into, and I suppose he didn't know either. <clears throat> and at the very beginning, right off the bat, we kind of hit it off. We were kind of kindred souls. Uh, he's very serious about his side of, of what his interest is. And I'm very serious when it comes to like I'm very serious when it comes to the skill building portions of it. And so, some point during the very the first few segments that we shot, it became obvious that everything Pincus was going to be how this applies to the world of self defense, and everything Latham is going to be how we break that piece out and turn that into a training segment that I can teach you how to shoot on. So it was kind of funny because. We'd be talking about a piece, and I'm looking like this and this and this. He says, well, yeah, okay, Rob, but this is all great. You decide to shoot. Once the time comes for it to shoot, this is how I would teach somebody to shoot. And as much as we were trying to be – to disagree, because the whole point is the worlds need to collide here, right? More often than not, we were in a common ground where we agreed with each other. And right up to the point where he put me through one of, one of his normal – training group things and, and I, it was one of the videos where I, and I screwed it up which is exactly what he wanted was for the competition shooter to fail at his at his self-defense trail so I, I obliged not on purpose but I certainly did fail on it he had written numbers and symbols and things all over the targets so the first thing he says what the hell is that symbol right there he says oh you're already trying to cheat I'm like what do you mean I'm trying to cheat he says well, it's right in front of me I'm a very observant person I want to know what that is says, don't worry about that you just do this. And he goes through this thing. <clears throat> and I keep waiting for him. It's a series you start walking circles and then you figure eight thing. And then you start shooting the target when he calls the numbers out. Well, at some one point in it, I am just waiting for him to trick me because I just know that symbol has got some weird name. So he's going to say something funny. I'm going to shoot that target because I'm not going to be able to figure out what it is. And so I'm, I'm doing the circles and he says, half eight. And I'm going like, half eight? What's a half eight? I don't know what the hell a half eight. It must be that symbol. So I shot that target. And then I'm going like, half eight? Wait. Oh, oh crap. Half eight, four. Then I shot the four target. So I literally fell directly into what he thought he was tricking me on. But he really was just proving I was stupid, not that I wasn't paying attention. But he did live, he did live big on that one. And I did fail it. I did shoot the wrong target. <laughs> so he got to make his teaching point at my cost. Next time, it's going to be all about shooting skill. I'm going to have my way with it. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember watching that uh, that video. It was, it's, uh, that's exactly how it happened, too. I mean, if you watch the piece, I really did screw it up. I couldn't. I, I, what's, what's a half an eight? I don't know what a half an eight is. I don't, what the, oh, crap. <laughs> that really happened just, just like the video played on it. So that kind of set the whole tone. <clears throat> for Pinkus and I because the world's colliding portion is for me this is uh, I've separated my 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 fundamental training and how I do the training is I'm going to teach you how to, to handle the gun I'm going to te teach you how to work the gun I'm going to teach you how to shoot any targets you're ever going to be able to hit or need to hit and reliably teach you the techniques that cause you to be able to hit the targets and Pinkus doesn't – I don't think he really likes to do the shooting instruction portion of it because I think he gets bored with, I guess, what would you call it, the technical detail of the mechanics of shooting. 
So he's come up with his angle, and, and it ends up that we both really fit together one hell of a lot better than I thought we would. And that's kind of where the whole thing started off. And now it's taken, uh, we're trying to actually uh, organize a, a class. We're trying to put on an event where we do a Worlds Collide thing. And he'll, teach, he'll teach his piece, and I'll teach my piece, and it might be entertaining as all get out. <laughs> Rob, talk a little bit. Um, I want to kind of go back to some of the things you said and, and pick out, pick them apart a little bit and get more detail from you. You talked a lot about how the skills, the shooting skills uh, are the same. You know, shooting skills, a shooting skill. It's more of the decision-making that kind of is significantly different between competitive and, and self-defense shooting. Let's talk about the skills. Like if, if I came to you and I was trying to pick it apart and say, hey, what are the skills I need to – learn you know like what are, what are the things i should focus on like how, uh, could you could you you know give me a list of skills or could you say all oh, this is the number one thing you need to go do now well there's there's shooting is only three things just so you know it's gun alignment on the target it's holding the gun steady enough and then firing the gun without moving it now there it is that's that's everything there is in shooting so once you become a master of those three things most of the shooting tests you're going to get in aren't that hard competitions are set up to be extremely difficult for the sake of determining who is mechanically the best shot, right? But, yeah. but uh, is that killing you guys? No, it's <laughs> okay. I'm no sorry. worries. This uh, is. Let, let me go back on that. We're question. literally getting a peek into the life of Rob Latham, which uh, really what it is is you're a busy dude. <laughs> well, that's that. That's the house phone ringing, and my wife's running around trying to figure out how to turn it off. <laughs> I so I so apologize. But, but going back to that question, you know the <clears throat> the mechanics of shooting and what I see done. Here, here's here's my biggest. You ready for my pet peeves? Okay, one is that we teach people to focus on the front sight, and, and in a dynamic environment, it's probably impossible to actually do that. Uh, so you need to learn how to aim without really focusing on the sights, which is another another concept that people struggle with. Uh, you have to, in most instances, be able to fire the gun extremely fast from the point of time you decide to shoot. Now, what I don't I don't mean your your rate of fire needs to be you know like a machine gun you know brrr, like that. That's that's not what I mean. But there may be the need once you've committed to firing the shot. Uh, the, when the opportunity or the demand for the shot need be made, you have to do it extremely fast. And I think a lot of the techniques that we teach people don't give them the tools to be able to make an on-demand shot. Let me give you a, a hypothetical. <clears throat> Sorry. A hypothetical. And you can, you, can, you can tear everything to pieces. But let's say you're facing an armed assailant. So, say you've got a guy, you've got Steve Tarani standing 10 feet from you, and he has a knife. Okay, first off, if you don't have your hand on your gun right now, you probably should just sit back and smile because it's over. But if you're prepared and you've put yourself in a position where you see what's going on, so your situational awareness has told you there's a problem and you're ready to deal with it, your hands on the gun, you should be able to draw the gun in for that point with the hands on the gun. Probably in half a second you can draw the gun and have point at the target. At that point, then you're going to have to make a decision as to whether the shot's going to be made or not. Most of us tend to think that the concept of how you fire the shot is to then, you know, squeeze the trigger smoothly and slowly. And, and that's great. That's how you teach a first-timer how to shoot. But the reality is if you've got half a second from the time you've determined that the, 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 this shot needs to be fired or shots, you probably only get half a second or three-quarters of a second with which to then 
make the decision and fire the shot. There's no way to do a slow, progressive, smooth squeeze. So one of my big problems is that we teach people not to jerk the trigger. And the reality is I think we confuse what that means. And you have to learn how to jerk the trigger because jerking the trigger is the process of pulling the trigger as rapidly as possible. So now you got to learn how to do that without moving people off the target. And it can be done. I mean, it's, it's, it's simply a skill. Uh, but it has a negative connotation. You tell somebody like, oh, you're going to get people who are going to listen to this thing and go like, Rob Latham's telling people to jerk the trigger. Oh, that's because he's a competition shooter. Well, that's both true. But the fact is, if I only have a half a second to react and actually make the shot happen, I can't take a one-second trigger pull. So you have to learn how to pull the trigger quickly. Now, if you want to change that wording and not use the term, the term jerking because it offends you, that's cool by me. I don't care what you categorize it. But when I shoot really fast, I jerk the trigger. I jerk it fast and I jerk it quickly and I jerk it repeatedly. So I think I, I, I'm, not, I'm not offended by the term. So that's one of my big pet peeves. The other part is to try to get people to relax in an environment that they can't. Mm. You're, you're going to be in a fight, guys. I mean, a lot of people... I come from a different generation than, than, than a lot of people, and and we were, when we were kids, we fought all the time. I mean, and we're not talking about just sports. It was just no big deal to walk down the street and had the neighbor kids would jump me, and and we'd have the, it wasn't a beat people to death fight, but it was just I don't know letting off steam. I don't know how to explain it, but but we'd wrestle and fight, and and, and it, you know at the end everybody went home and nobody's hurt too bad and. You know, we could wipe off, put a bandaid on, and, and I think a lot of a lot of our people today were so scared of the physical content contact and the and the actual what do you call it the, the actual concept that there might be physical contact that they don't understand that in reality you have to activate muscles to make things happen and you have to be very aggressive and telling people to relax so that they can operate the trigger smoothly or whatever. It doesn't work in, in a fight when you're seconds away or fractions of a second away from being attacked. Now, the way that applies into competition is that I don't have time to do anything slowly because the clock is a, the clock, the clock is a mean, a mean what, what's the nice term for this? Uh, it, it, it sets the tone and the pace for everything that you do in a competition. And sometimes time is more important than accuracy. So you'll use, say, a trigger pull that, that may not be the most accurate to be as quickly as quick as possible. So we have to be fast. And I think at some point, everybody's training has to become dynamic. It has to become, I don't know, violence not the right word, but it needs to become physical and it needs to be aggressive. And very little of that can be done while being relaxed. So there's one of my other pet peeves. Yeah, I know that was a bigger, bigger than you were asking for there. But <laughs> well, I, what I appreciate, Rob, is every every question you answer creates like five more questions. Oh man, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> no, it's a good. This is a good thing because because we're 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 getting the good insight here, and we're we're going places that are really important. I, I love what you said about there's really only three three skills you know related related to shooting. And, you know, it's, it's, it's all about the mastery of those three skills and then obviously the application of them uh, in, in the environment. Um, I think that that's an insight that anybody listening to this, you know, go back and listen to that 12 times and memorize it and, you know, repeat it in, the, in your sleep with headphones. Right. Right. <laughs> right. It, it, it truly becomes an issue of mastery of firing the gun, mastery of controlling the gun, and mastery of pointing the gun. And whether you use the sights or not for the aiming is based on the need. What's the level of precision required? Uh, how well you need to control the gun is based on how many shots you need to fire, and you can't relax and control the gun. 
and how fast you're going to fire the gun and be able to pull the trigger without moving the gun out of alignment is going to ultimately be what determines whether you hit the target more times than not. So it's, I guess if you went to a Rob Latham class, I'd tell you the first thing is, listen, quit focusing on the front side, start jerking the trigger and hold on tight and don't relax. So that, that alone right there throws a lot of people for a loop because it's bass backwards. And that's without even getting into any of the physical skills and techniques. Those are all just concepts at that point. And then I have to teach you, what do you mean? I mean, how do you aim without looking at the sights? How do you, how do you hold on to the gun as tightly as you can without... You know, creating undue tension that, that that inhibits your ability to pull the trigger. And how do you pull the trigger really, really fast without moving the gun? Then becomes my job. That's where my job starts. Mm. Now, when you know you've you've mentioned uh, that you've trained some of the world's top you know elite shooters, uh, both in law enforcement agencies as well as for for our military. Uh, when they contact you, they say, "Rob, we want you to come and and train our guys." Uh, is that what they're having you come to train them or are they asking for, I mean, like what are the top guys asking for your training? What are they looking for? They want to learn how to be better shots. They want to see, they want to see what they can do better to shoot better. You know, if you take a top tier military group, like, like, you know, people that I can't name, I mean, those guys do CQB every day. I'm never going to teach them CQB for God's sakes. They're, they're way better at it than anybody else in the world. Uh, and it's not from talking about it. It's from being on the range and being in the shoot house and actually doing it. They go through it, and they always come to a point there like, well, you know, our limitations most of the time is our confidence in taking the shot because you know, we're faced with this series of shots, and it happens very quickly. How can we become better at the shooting portion? They certainly don't bring me in for the tactics side of it. I mean, right. that's, that's not my bag, baby. You know, I am literally there to deal with the mechanics of, mechanics of shooting. So a group like that is bringing me in because they want to learn how to shoot better. They want, mm-hmm. to learn, they want to learn techniques they don't know. They want to learn what takes them the next step. And yeah. they're, they're real, you know, cutting edge most of those places. So Right. So I'm, I'm kind of curious, Rob, before – because I'd like to ask another follow-up question specifically to jerking the trigger. But before I get to that, I'm curious – You've been shooting your whole life, but you know, basically, right? Uh, how did you first learn, or how are you first taught how to shoot a gun? Man, I can't remember. It's been too long. I mean, I have pictures. My mom has pictures of me shooting when I was, you know, six years old. I just don't remember not shooting. Um, so obviously, it was my parents that taught me gun safety and gun handling and shooting in the beginning, right? right. So that's where it had to have started. And then over the years, um, I was a big kid. So, you know, by the time I was in, you know, sixth grade, I was 5'10 or 5'11. So I was big enough very early on that I could shoot anything, control anything. And my insane desire to go shooting led me to want to shoot anything. And thank goodness my parents had lots of guns. And as I become more and more interested in, in performance, of the shooting, uh, then of course, I, at that point, you would read all the magazines, you read every magazine of anything anybody ever wrote that was regarding shooting, and I started reading about the competitions. I started reading about you know Jeff Cooper's writings and, and many, many, many other people like that about Ipsic and, and those competitions. It just sounded like so much fun. And our when our family would go out, I remember when I was probably about twelve or fourteen years old, we my grandfather made some steel targets for us. Uh, and and we would shoot El Presidentes. We put three steel targets out there and shoot two on each, reload, shoot two on each, and we were playing 
we were playing Ipswich Shooter when I, was, when I was 12 years old, and I was reading about, you know, the guys doing it, you know, big competitions, and I never, ever thought it would go anywhere because it was, I was, my interest was never so much in competing at, at that point as much as I was just enamored with the guns. I mean, it's, I just love guns. I can't explain it. I'm a gadget person. And, and at that period of time, you would read everything anybody would ever have to, to say about, about technique. But I don't remember that a whole lot of that ever stuck, uh, stuck until I started shooting competition, which started in, I think, my senior year. I went to my first match where I saw other people shooting other than my family. And then it was just this whole world opened up, and I was very attentive, and I'd see different people holding the guns differently in different arm positions. And, and uh, I went through this inquisitive phase where I basically tried everything. So I guess I was learning by learning by testing, I, I guess would be the best thing. I never had a, a teacher, a firearms instructor, I never had anybody tell me how to do it because I found out early on that that I couldn't always do the things that other people were doing. I, I remember early on in my shooting ground, I wanted my finger on the trigger guard because everybody in the Phoenix area put their finger on the trigger guard, so that must be the way to do it. And it was frustrating for me because my grip never felt solid because it felt like my finger was always falling off, so then I decided to just stop doing it, put my fingers underneath. Now, I wasn't developing a grip for somebody else or learning off somebody else. I was learning from my own inabilities. I well, in 1911, I would leave my thumb on the safety, on the thumb safety after I took it off because I had trouble taking it off and then getting my grip properly afterwards. So one thing led to another. So I guess experience was my experience and, and, and experimentation were my teachers. And then later on, when I shot with Brian Enos all the time, uh, wasn't later, it was early, but that's kind of where all the testing and we just tried everything, anything and everything. And whatever we couldn't do, you know, we discarded. So was, that's kind of how the development process went in. You know, wow. Jump in and see if you can swim. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Riley, I know you have a lot of more questions, and we're going to talk more about some technique and mechanics. But before I forget, uh, Rob, I would love to know a little bit about your dry fire training. In other words, you know, specifically maybe if you give us a percentage of X percentage of my training is dry fire or how you feel about dry fire, you know, evolution of your use of dry fire training. Well, it's changed dramatically over my career at the beginning where I couldn't afford to shoot very much. Then I did lots and lots of draws, lots of reloads. And of course you can dry fire one time without 1911 and, and you have to cock it every time. So there's no way to learn curricle control. And there's no way to learn, uh, 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 fast trigger control for repeat shots because you, know, you can only pull the trigger one time but you can learn how to draw you can learn how to reload you can learn how to, to manipulate the gun and things like that I did all the time I probably never did dry firing as organized as other people do but but part of that is because living in Mesa Arizona in 1975 you know, if you wanted to go shooting that was about a 10 minute walk or 10 minute drive so it wasn't a big deal to go shooting. It was no big deal to have guns. Uh, it was no big deal to find a place to shoot. So it was more likely that instead of dry firing, I wasn't using dry firing to substitute uh, for live fire. I was using dry firing as a way of using familiarization, gaining familiarization with the gun. Now, to that degree, I still do it all the time. I, I Before we shot today, I went out and sighted in three Saint rifles. Uh, I've got two PCCs I've got a sight in in the morning. 
through the course of the day, I will probably handle 10 or 15 different guns because I want to stay, uh, uh, what do you call it? I want to stay, not current's the wrong word. I want to. I, I, sharp? Yeah. I, I don't want to feel, I never want, when I pick up a gun, that I need to be able to be competent with, have anything feel funny. You know, so I, I'm predominantly shooting 1911s and XDMs and XDSs lately, uh, all for different purposes. But those are the guns I tend to shoot the most other than the ARs. So I, I never want to pick one up and go through an extended period of time of how, to, how do you reload it and how does it feel. So I don't. So I play with the guns all day long. So I don't know that you would call that, I don't think you'd call it dry firing. I don't think that's right. Because it's not organized where I put on my holster rig and I and I and I put targets on the wall. Uh, I don't, but I sit and keep. I have great familiar familiarity with the guns I shoot because they're in my hands all the time. I'm going to describe it this way: You like to fondle your guns. Oh, that's absolutely true. And you know what? You got to take that any way you want. It's absolutely true. I love to fondle my guns. I love to play with them. The ones that I really, some of the guns, the ones you really like, and I can't always explain why. They feel good in your hand, and you want to. I just want to play with it. I love bouncing the the gun around in my hand and hitting the magazine release and just doing reloads where I'm just taking the magazine in and out again, in and out again. I, people in this house could tell you how annoying it is because they'll listen to it all day long. And when I'm playing with revolvers, I love revolvers because you can click, 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 click. Try to be Jerry Mitchellack and see how fast you can click it. And you can learn a lot of trigger control from something like that. Um, so, yeah, that's exactly what it is. I love the feel of guns in my hand. I really do. There you go, folks. Uh, Rob Latham likes to fondle his guns, but I don't <laughs> think <true>. the, <laughs> I don't think you, you know strange company. But you know, by any means, uh, I think many of us are in that same boat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. <laughs> So here's a here's a loaded question. I well, I think of it as a loaded question because this is, I think, uh, a, really a challenging thing for a lot of shooters to learn. Uh, and the question is, you talk about jerking the trigger, the need to jerk the trigger, and I think this has such great application, especially in the self defense world, because, like you said, you, you have milliseconds to recognize a, a a stimulus, and that stimulus might be a threat, and make it. A decision in your brain that oh threat need to shoot threat and then you put body into action to actually follow through with that and when the time comes you need to shoot quickly so how do you learn or if you want to flip it around how do you teach someone to jerk the trigger without disturbing the uh, alignment of the gun well it's it's fundamentally very simple it's just not easy uh, the process of pulling the trigger occurs from several different positions. You know, you, so you'll have a ready position when your finger's out of the trigger. You'll have a ready position. It's not a ready position. It's an action position when your finger's touching the trigger. And at some point from then on, you're going to learn how to fire the gun quickly. And depending on the difficulty of the shot and the required amount of alignment uh, is how fast you get pulled through the whole trigger. But if the distances are very close and you have fractions of a second, make the decision and shoot. We can't shoot in a second. At that point, the trick is to separate your trigger finger from everything else. Now, you can't hold the gun loosely and pull the trigger violently quick and not move the gun. Sorry, not going to happen. So you're going to have to give up on relaxing. You're going to have to hold on tight, and you're going to have to learn steps of the trigger pull. Once you learn the different steps and different positions where you're going to move the trigger from, you can learn the actual technique. Most people 
biggest struggle is dealing with it conceptually. The concept that you're going to pull the trigger really, really fast for some people is like, well, my training at this point has always been that I'm going to pull the trigger very carefully and uh, smoothly. And I'm going to tell you, okay, well, let's do that. Aim at the target. Here's the timer. The timer is only used as a judgment tool. It's not used as a pass-fail. Um, and I'm going to say, I need to see how fast you can actually do what you want to do. So aim your gun at the target. And when the buzzer goes off, I need you to shoot that target in the center of the target as quickly as you can. And every shooter to a person will go towards the fast side. And they'll... they'll Buzzer goes off, and then they'll put their finger on the trigger, and then either go to a number of steps where you might move the trigger to a set position where the where the trigger gets heavier, or you might pull it all the way through, depending on what mechanism it is. But they'll all shoot it relatively quick, and I'll say, okay, well, your time for that was was three. Let's just make up a number. Let's say that was three quarters of a second. If I am ten feet in front of you and moving towards you at full speed, which for me isn't very fast, you've got a second and a half to do something about that before I'm on you. Probably less if it's somebody that's quick. If you add a quarter of a second uh, reaction time to your three-quarter of a second uh, action time, the reaction and the action time, uh, it's problematical whether you're going to be able to do it in time. So you're going to pull the trigger fast because the guy knows he needs to do it. And then the person will ask him, so what did you just do there? He says, well, I just, when the buzzer went off, I pulled the trigger smoothly. Like, uh, then I'll say, okay, well, let's say you've got to do that same thing, but you need to now do it in half a second. Because the distances are, you've, you've made, made major bad things have happened, and it's too close now. So you don't have but half a second from the time your hand is on the gun to the time you can get it out. In half a second, one way or the other, we're done. You're, you're either done or you're done. It says, well, how are you going to pull the trigger on that one? The guy's going to say, well, I, I don't know. Let's, let's try it. So here's what I want you to do. Aim the gun at the target, finger out of the trigger. When the buzzer goes off, I need you to shoot it as fast as you can. And the guy will sit there and go, boom. And almost without exception, he will induce a recoil, a recoil control motion, which is to dip the gun down and then shoot low on the target. This is so common because it's so poorly misunderstood what you're actually seeing there. Then the instructor normally says, ah, you're jerking the trigger. So really? The, the two aren't really related. So the problem wasn't that you jerked the trigger, which you had to do to be fast. The problem is... The process of activating a fast trigger pull almost always activates a recoil control movement because your brain knows that by pulling the trigger really, really fast, the gun's going to kick very shortly after that, and it has to return it. So you then have a programming process that goes in. I know this is a long – you should never ask me a question, guys. Is <laughs> At that point, you now have to learn the person how to teach a person how to pull the trigger very, very quickly and very violently without adding a recoil control cycle. That can only be done on the range. I can dry fire you through this. A thousand times, and then as soon as we load the gun up and shoot it, your brain says, "Okay, now that action is going to cause a, cause recoil, and I need to fight it." So you then have to train a sequence of events to occur, and then it's based specifically on that one student. I'm not much of a good group instructor where I tell everybody to go do this, and then this the drill is going to teach you something. Drills are used as tools; they don't teach you a damn thing. They have application in a certain area. But if I need you to learn how to pull the trigger really, really quick without moving it, you know what we're going to work on? Pulling the trigger really, really fast without moving your hands. And we got to get you to get your you know, get the recoil control cycle. So then that's where my training, when I teach people, there's one step after another step after another step after another step. And at the end of it, ideally, you could, at five meters, you could, you could just go bang, 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 and you could just drill 
you know, a six-inch circle in the middle of a target with reaction times that occur in a quarter of a second or less, and reaction time meaning responding to a stimulus, in this case a buzzer, and firing a shot that hits that spot in a quarter of a second. And everybody can do it once you teach them how. So how's that for a long answer to that question? <laughs> That's Perfect. a great answer. So um, how do you make them do it? Yeah, how do, how do you teach? You know, this is something I think I still struggle with. You know, I, uh, I do too. You know, and you ready, you ready for another truth? I got to throw this in there. Okay. You laid it open for me. The mistakes <laughs> that everybody makes, everybody makes. The only difference between the best shooter and the worst shooter is the frequency and the severity of the mistake. When I do that same motion, I might move the point of impact a quarter of an inch. Somebody bad might do it, move it six inches at five meters. So hmm. they all make the same mistakes. They never go away. Got bad news for you guys. It never goes away. <laughs> So mm-hmm. how, I mean, learning this process, this, you know, of steps as far as, or at least how to minimize that, that jerking motion, uh, as you described it, you know, that you're, you're trying to control recoil. You're thinking, oh gosh, this is going to, this is about to go bang. And so my body's natural tendency is to, like you said, dip down. I'm, I'm going to try to fight back, kick back against that recoil. Uh, for someone that has a real severe challenge with that, uh, where do you start? Well, the, the drill is pretty, pretty, it's actually pretty simple. And I just call it pushing, pulling, or flinching. So flinch is a good term for it. Mm-hmm. And the, the flinch is the, is, is the response of, of recoil control being activated during the shot. So you basically have to get somebody to let the gun kick. I mean, it's really, really that simple. We have to deprogram and remove the recoil control element. So you literally have to get the guy to fire the gun really, really fast and not care about control and recoil. When we watch people shoot, the guys will always say, oh man, look how flat that is. That guy doesn't have any muzzle flip at all. I'll say, yeah, that's really cool how he's doing that. And every shot's going eight inches low. Isn't that funny? And you go to him and says, well, but that looks so good. He says, yeah, but watch this. And I'll shoot a group and at the same pace, but I'll let the gun kick all over the place. Literally, bam, 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 bam. And they're like, well, the gun was pointed up in the sky half the time. I'm like, yeah, but... If you slow motion and watch this, you'll realize that I can't manipulate the trigger quicker than about, oh, I don't know, 15 or 1800s would be really quick for me. And in that amount of time, the gun has cycled and has come back down. So it doesn't matter if you stop it from moving. It matters how quickly it gets back to its position. So once you get a student to accept the fact that flip is okay, then most people don't really have as big a problem with it. It, it all comes into to, to a reprogramming. So if you, if you watch a line of shooters and every one of them has a ton of muzzle flip, hardly anybody jerks when they do that as far as uh, jerking the gun low. It's the guys that don't have any muzzle flip, that's where you see it. And unfortunately, it all depends on when the timing is. I mean, somebody that's really on top of their timing controls the gun's muzzle flip very shortly after the gun fires, and somebody that's really bad about it controls the muzzle flip slightly before he fires the gun. So it's, it's and what's the difference in that five or six hundredths of a second? So you you gotta you gotta train it into them to first no muzzle flip and then second add degrees of muscle muzzle flip control, and that's that's hard. That's I wish I I wish I could just give you a drill that makes you do that. But the reality is you have to watch them do it. You have to make them correct things at the time, and and those are all the things when it comes into shooting that 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 we work on in a class. You know, it's and, yeah. you know, it's those are those are just the foundation level skills that you have to work on. I still work on them, so there goes one. Yeah. 
that makes that makes a ton of sense, right? It's about um, almost like we have to fix the inherent issues that you know the the firing of a gun creates. Right. Gun going off causes all sorts of problems. It, the gun doesn't kick up; the gun kicks backwards, and the gun's lift and muzzle flip occurs because our line of resistance is below the line of force. So just by nature, it has to come up. If we can accept that there has to be muzzle flip, then it, muzzle flip really isn't much of a problem. Um, it's when we see that as, as ah, enemy's the wrong word, as we, we see the need to 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 uh, remove... Counteract? The, yeah, there you go. That's exactly right. The counteraction is the mistake that gets made. And, and what we want to do is have it... We want a reaction, not not a predicting movement that where we pull the gun down before. And it's kind of, this is where I go really non-traditional on people. Uh, if you're shooting really, really fast, I expect you to jerk the gun down after after you fire it. Because you've taught your brain, you're, you've programmed that once the gun fires, you got to pull it back down and get in alignment as quick as possible. And you have to move your finger as fast as possible to be able to fire the next and or a series of shots. And to do that, you can't wait for the gun to come down back down. So the second step after you get a guy to have him flip is just have him recover it. So you have to always judge where the shot goes. Like doing the traditional ball and dummy drill when they're shooting fast, it really doesn't make any sense because if you did it to me, uh, a ball and dummy drill and said shoot that gun till it doesn't go off anymore as fast as you can, whenever the gun goes click, I'm going to dip down because I know that by pulling the trigger it should have caused muzzle flip. Okay, it should have fired the gun. The gun firing should have caused muzzle flip, and I should have to pull it down. And I'm not going to deprogram my muzzle flip control and reaction just because a gun didn't go off. So everybody can stand there and laugh at me, but the reality is I'm doing it fractionally after the gun goes off, which is basically just timing. So developing those skills and timing all that in is of paramount importance to anybody that wants to shoot fast. Doesn't matter if you're a competition shooter, doesn't matter if you're a self-defense shooter, doesn't matter if you're a tact tactical shooter. If you've got time to deal with it, you can do it any way you want. Can you hold the gun terribly? You can pull the trigger horribly and still make good shots. Time is the time is the is the defining issue that makes us have to do something better. Hmm. That is uh your description, by the way, the ball and dummy drill, which obviously is kind of an industry standard. There's a lot of people that they use that. That that's one of the best ways I think I've actually heard this explained. As far as you saying you you, I mean, essentially admitting that hey, I'm going to dip down. I'm going to have this so-called flinch that Absolutely. a lot of times we're looking for when we're doing that drill. But explaining that your flinch is different than most other people's flinches because it's going to come slightly after that click of the gun as opposed to anticipating it just before. Right. That just ball, clicked in my dummy. brain for whatever reason. Well, and, and it, that's good. I'm glad it did. The, the ball and dummy drill was applicable to slow fire shooting because if you can't pull the trigger slowly without dipping the gun down when there is absolutely no need for muzzle control, I mean for muzzle flip control, if you're shooting slow fire and zeroing the gun, or the shots are are really really hard, where speed is of no no concern, and you then have a dip down if the gun goes click, well, we got a problem. <laughs> that means you've got an active recoil control cycle happening when it doesn't need to, um, and then it all comes into when did it happen? And the target will always tell you. Always remember, here's the truth for you guys: the target never lies. The target shows you what you did. 
It doesn't show you what you wish you did, what you'd hope you did, what you're trying to do. It always shows you what you actually did. If you listen to the target, it will tell you what you're doing, even if you don't think it's true. Mm. Wow. Targets never lie. Target yeah, never lie. Right. Target never lie. <laughs> never lie. <laughs> that's great. So it's it's about time that we wrap this up here today. Um, we we've not even been able to get into quite you know everything. I, I mean, we we haven't even really spent any time really getting into the nuts and bolts of of aiming your gun or of of, of you know. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, like this is perfect because what did we say when we started? We said. You know, we'll we'll get into some things, and then whatever we don't get, we're going to save for our special Guardian Nation live broadcast, which is going to come up here next week. And Jacob, I'm going to let you tell the folks uh, what to expect and when that's going to be. Yeah, so for those of you who are not familiar with our Guardian Nation live broadcast, this is a monthly event where we essentially are privileged enough to pick the brain of some of the greatest shooters uh, in the world. And so the next Guardian Nation Live broadcast will be June 27th at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. That's 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. Mountain, 6 p.m. Pacific. And I have no idea what it is in Arizona. We never know what time it is here. <laughs> yeah, if you Arizona people have to Google it or something. But, but uh, it depends on what time of year it is. I think they're still on uh, Pacific time. Yeah. Okay, okay. Well, there you go. Enough, at least for the summer here. So yeah. At least for now, it'd be six p.m. of <laughs> uh, 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 six p.m. Uh, Arizona time. So th- this is an opportunity for th- for not only for you to hear more from Rob, but to actually ask Rob your questions. So the way the Guardian Nation Live broadcast is is formatted is we all come into a live room. It's 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 video. We'll see Rob, so he can be holding a dummy gun or real gun if he if he chooses, and he can de- demonstrate things. People can present questions, and he will. You know, me and Riley essentially. Uh, are the the funnels through which all those questions come, and we ask them on on your behalf live in the session, and and Rob will have a chance to respond to those. So if you haven't participated in one of these before, I'm telling you it's huge. There's massive value. It's the way to take your your shooting skills to the next level. And we also record these broadcasts, and there's an archive of all the past broadcasts. And of course, we'll have. Uh, the recording with Law, Rob after uh, our session next week for those of you who are Guardian Nation members. So to attend the live session or to participate in, in viewing the recordings of this or any other past sessions, you need to be a member of Guardian Nation. So go to www.guardiannation.com. Do that before Tuesday, uh, June 27th, so that you have an access to, to log in live and participate. Yeah, well, there you go. So and, you, could, you couldn't find anybody good next week, so you got sticking everybody with me. <laughs> there had to be some good shooters around. Hey, Rob, I got a funny one for you, though. I will tell you this: some, some, someone who's in charge of your website. I'm guessing that you went to them one day and said, "Stop calling me the Great One," and so now they just abbreviate it and put TGO. It, so that whole thing started. Uh, it's a long story, but but basically, my buddy Brian Enos started calling me that later in our collective shooting career as is kind of a joke and uh, a lady at Springfield Armory that was head of uh, promotion just jumped all over it and then the, the guy then they did a gun that was called a TGO gun and it's uh, you know what what, what, what are you going to say T, there's two TGOs to me and if you look it up there's a lot more Jackie Gleason will always be the great one for me and then Wayne Gretzky after that, and I guess there'll be other people, but somewhere somebody coined that, and I have to live with it now. Thanks, Brian. But uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm just Rob. I love it. 
Yeah, that's great. So, and by the way, folks, uh, it's really our privilege. Uh, we are so honored to have Rob on both for this podcast, but also for the Guardian Nation live broadcast next week on the 27th, because it was not easy get, you know, connecting <laughs> with you and, and, and getting our schedules aligned <laughs> to make this all work. So I know it's been, I think we actually did the final scheduling this while I was in Sweden over the last two weeks. Yeah, shot, shot, we went to NRA show and we had, oh, what was the order? I can't remember. We had the NRA show. We had two USPSA nationals at the Yankee Cup. Then I was home for five days, went to Sweden for two weeks. I've been home three days and we're going to Vegas for a match this weekend. It's just kind of nonstop. Yeah. Busy it's guy. Good. It's and good to be the Rob. <laughs> and this is your busy, busy season too. So I mean, a lot of yeah, lot of matches throughout the you know basically starting, uh, yeah, at the start of the year, uh, March, whatever you know, and all all through the summer here. So, well, uh, Rob, thanks again. Uh, stay cool down there in Arizona. Uh, <laughs> Record setting heat coming through this week, and uh, we look forward to connecting with you again next Tuesday evening. Once again, folks, the twenty seventh of June, Tuesday night, seven p.m. Mountain Time. And uh, we will look forward to it for sure as we get into talking a little bit more about aiming, uh, talking about you know controlling the gun, and you know these these other fundamentals that uh, Rob you know really preaches and, and lives and dies by. So uh, thanks again, and uh, we'll see you next week. All right, guys. Thanks. So hey, that was an awesome interview. I thought Jacob uh, is so cool to pick the mind of Mr. Rob Latham and. You know what? We could have gone on for probably two or three hours uh, easily, but the fact is we only have so much time here on the podcast, which is why we were sure to invite him to be our guest on our Guardian Nation live broadcast this next Tuesday, and we'll talk about some more of those things that we didn't get time to talk about here today. Yeah. Yeah, we will. And and it's... You know, he he was very apologetic for you know talking in so much detail about some of our questions, but you know that's what we need. That's what I think all shooters need to really you know understand the core, the mechanics, the actual you know what to do and how to do and why it matters of these kinds of shooting questions. And so, yeah, I'm I'm pumped to to keep on going and keep the conversation going and and to hear what other questions you know you our listeners have for him in the upcoming broadcast. You know, this is the thing that's so fascinating to me, uh, talking with him. And I've, I'd heard this from him uh, a few other places and a few through a few other sources. Uh, this idea that, hey, the only thing that's important with shooting uh, is aiming the gun. Okay. And, and when he says aiming, it's not, we're not talking about like focusing on the front sight and aligning those sights. He, he talked about that in this episode today. Uh, learning to jerk the trigger really fast. <laughs> And, uh, and when appropriate, you know, make, it doesn't really matter. You, you got to be able to not, uh, press the trigger and have it disturb the alignment of the gun, right? So you got aiming, you've got pressing the trigger so you don't disturb the alignment of the gun and then hang on to that sucker really tight, control the gun so that it's not, you know, going all over the place. Uh, so basically control the gun, grip it tightly, uh, press the trigger so you don't disturb the alignment of the gun and aim it at the target, put the bolts where you want them to go. Like that's, that's it. I mean, we, so often we get focused on, you know, stance and grip and sight alignment, sight picture, like these classic fundamentals that uh, you hear so often in the shooting, uh, especially in the instructor community. Uh, and he's just like, look, it's simple. It's three things. Do these three things. The bullet's going to go where you want it to go. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, it always sounds simple on the top and then it's an issue of really understanding all the mechanics involved to achieve those things. And that's, that's where this really gets, you know, gets valuable, I think. Yeah, totally. Well, thanks to Mr. Latham for joining us on the podcast today. Uh, let's get into our picks of the week and my pick this week. And, and I'm a little bit pleased to, uh, uh kind of, beat you to the punch on this one, Jacob, because you could have done this one a while ago. And I went back and searched and you didn't, bro. So I'm picking the Black Point Tactical Holster. Uh, now you could still pick one of the other Black Point ones that you have, because uh, I'm picking the Mini Wing, uh, which is a very kind of minimalistic Kydex inside waistband holster from Black Point Tactical. Uh, I ordered this up from them and was uh, I'm, v- I'm very impressed. Uh, of course, there's a lot of great holster products out there. We talk about many of them. Uh, this is kind of a newer one. I specifically ordered this one for my SIG P320. And it's just a well-built, solid holster. What I like about it is it's, it is still kind of a hybrid holster. It's incorporated Kydex and uh, leather, but it's not a leather backing with Kydex mounted to the front. It is a Kydex shell uh, front and back. It's a f- complete you know, wraparound shell. And then it's got two little leather pieces that then attach to your clips. So you get a little bit of flexibility there in that, in that holster. Uh, so the whole thing is not, you know, totally rigid, uh, but it's very minimalistic, works well, conceals well, um, just a great little holster. So, and, and you're familiar too with Black Point, I think. Uh, you've got a holster or two from them, mm-hmm. if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. And yeah, they, they have great service and uh, yeah, they really helped me out in a pinch when I needed something very quickly and they were able to kind of rush it and get it to me. And they didn't even charge me an upsell uh, fee or anything like that or a rush fee. And so, yeah, I was, I was very impressed with them as a company and the holster performed well. Yeah. Awesome. What's your pick this week? This week, my pick is live fire drill cards. So for those of you who have no idea what in the world I'm talking about, essentially the live fire drill cards is a system that was produced earlier this year and that we've been selling on our website that think of it like a comprehensive notebook that has a, a, you know, that you're meant to take this notebook to the range and use to make your range experience more productive, uh, to have a plan to be more efficient and more economic. And I'd say the kind of the primary core component of this notebook is these drill cards and these drill cards, there's 30 of them right now. Uh, The the manufacturer, the designer of the product is going to build more for us, but there's 30 of them. And, you know, so for one, let's say it's the El Presidente drill. And on that drill card, you can keep track of your score every time you run the drill. You can uh, input uh, your time and everything like that. On the back of the card, it shows how to run the drill, how to set it up, the distance from target, the type of targets to use, how many rounds of ammo you're going to need, the stages, what you know, stage by stage, how to run the drill. It's just very, I think impressive in terms of the design and the layout and how effective it is. And uh, I, I really, you know, excited to integrate that more with, with instruction and with teaching. Cool. Next up, uh, we've got a really exciting thing. This is really an up next for me and for you, uh, since we'll both be there and we've talked about it before, but, uh, super, super excited about it. So here, just in two days, we'll be doing our first ever guardian essentials pistol course, uh, June 23rd, uh, here in the Denver area. Uh, still time to technically get into that class if you really wanted to. 
Uh, yeah. I know it is kind of short notice uh, if you're only hearing about this now, but if you're able to be in the Denver area on Friday this week, 8.30 to 5.30 p.m., we are going to do this. Uh, this is this is the first course in a s- series of, of new courses that we'll be rolling out here at concealedcarry.com, and we're super excited about. Uh, so Guardian Essentials Pistol Course on Friday, June 23rd. Uh, we've got a good little group of students that'll be there. We're gonna do a lot of really fun stuff. Uh, we're gonna push them. We're gonna, you know, really, uh, you know, help them to learn and uh, and and push their uh, their, you know, kind of push the limits a little bit. We we want them to grow. Uh, so it's a big focus of the course. It'll be very uh, real world, tactically, you know, focused. Uh, none of this, you know, it's not gonna be learning how to shoot bullseyes or anything like that. It's gonna be how to how to fight effectively uh, in in the real world. So anyway. There you have it. Uh, Jacob, what do you got coming up, bud? So I am getting a lot of things prepared for our Happy Birthday America sale. This is something I know that we've at least teased, if not talked about directly on the podcast, but it's going to be part of our big Independence Day celebration. And similar to the big Black Friday sale uh, that we did last year, it will be exclusive to Guardian Nation members, but we we have a large number of, of products that we're going to be very heavily discounted. we got to work on making sure the inventory is ready, uh, all the communication, all the assets. And so anyway, that's a big focus of mine right now is getting ready for that. It'll launch on July 3rd. Awesome. And then we have a special day associated with that as well, right? Yeah, we're going to make up our should... own holiday. <laughs> I think you should uh, tell folks what that is. Yeah, so essentially we decided to create Guardian Day. And don't tell anyone, but we were still in the idea from Amazon. You know, they have like Prime Day or whatever for Prime members. So we've decided this is a really fun way to get back to Guardian Nation members. So Guardian Day will be on July 7th, which uh, is after the conclusion of the Happy Birthday America sale. And it will have a series of what we're calling Guardian Grabs, which are products that will be to call them discounted seems like we're not doing it justice. They'll be ridiculously cheap to the point that we'll lose money on some of them. And in so it, essentially, it's it's just going to be a really cool way for you to get some some products that maybe in the past you've, you've said that they're too expensive or it's not something I'm ready to do right now. Uh, now you'll be ready. And here's my favorite part about Guardian Day. We're going to give away a gun. Yeah. And uh, we've seen this gun. Uh, you've seen it. I've seen it. Uh, I don't think we've released any images of it yet, though, right? No. But uh, folks are going to be really impressed. Uh, <laughs> that's pretty cool. <laughs> you're going to want this gun. So uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, that's going to be a really fun giveaway. I'm excited to see whoever ends up with this. Uh, I'll give. A, I'll drop a little hint. Very American-looking gun. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll we'll have a dedicated episode here soon where we talk more about Independence Day and we'll in that episode you know talk a little bit more about the gun and, and the details. Absolutely. Well, there you have it. Uh, it's been another great episode, I think, here today. Uh, thanks for joining us and listening in. We really appreciate all those of you that support the podcast in any way, shape, or form. Uh, one of the greatest ways that uh, folks have supported us is simply by uh, leaving a little review. If you have the ability to do so in iTunes, uh, that is really helpful for us. Helps us rank a little bit better in the, in the, in the search results uh, of uh, if you're searching for podcasts and things in uh, iTunes. And, uh, you know, and, and if that means if, if we rank better, then more people are going to find the podcast. More people are going to hopefully have their lives positively influenced by it. Uh, also, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. You can search Concealed Carry Inc., concealedcarry.com. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to give all the specific handles or, or, or uh, account names for those, but you, you'll, you should be able to find us out there. Look for the logo, 
And uh, we look forward to communicating with you through our various social platforms. And of course, as always, you're able to contact us through our contact page on the website at concealedcarry.com forward slash contact. So with that, I'm going to sign off, Jacob. Yeah, thanks everyone. Yeah, sign off. Yes, uh, thank you for listening and we will talk to you soon. So take care, folks. I hope you have a good rest of your week. And uh, we'll see you next week on our usual news episode, uh, weekly episode of the Concealed Carry Podcast. Take care, train safe, be be, uh, good out there. We'll catch you next time. A reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.